you know, they took it up to 2012, but this is eight years later. Mm -hmm. And in the world of technology, eight years is huge. I mean, you have a computer for a year, a year and a half, and they tell you it's outdated. Right. You know, it's an old model already. So I think absolutely um, we would get a very different result if we were doing the test, if we were looking at the numbers today. Um, I think we make um, much more connection than we used to, and we connect in lots of different ways than we used to. This week, a new study looked at multiple surveys and found that singles have more social contacts than their married counterparts. What does that mean? Why might that be? Dr. Karen Sherman discusses the findings. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the original, Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationships and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, find it, keep it, and make it last. And you can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Um, today, Karen, we are going to talk about the social constraints of marriage. Um, this co topic comes from a study that was published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, which looked at data from uh, many surveys. So um, the National Survey of Families and Households, uh, stretching from 92 to 94, and the General Social Survey covering 2000, 2004, <coughs> 2006, and 2012. And um, basically what they found was that single individuals are more likely to frequently stay in touch with, provide help to, and receive help from parents, siblings, neighbors, and friends than their married uh uh, counterparts. Counterparts. Yes. Thank you. Um, we know that social connections are important. Um, so with this new bit of data, should married couples be concerned the fact that they, uh, have less of these social contacts than their single counterparts? Well, that's an interesting way to phrase it. You're saying, should they be concerned that they have less? Doesn't mean that they don't have any Right. Okay. Um, so, no, I wouldn't say they should be worried. I think that basically um, what this finding is showing is that people who are single um, have more time, perhaps. Perhaps they have more need, or certainly since you're also saying that um, they get more help from parents, siblings, and neighbors, the 
assumption is, <clears throat> excuse me, the assumption is that because they're single, they need more help. Mm. Um, that may or may not be true. They also but, provide more help as well is what it said. Yes. Yes. I, I, I'm aware of that. But what I'm saying is that the assumption is that because they're single, they need more help. So that increases the amount of social contact they have because of that assumption. And they are also giving it um, because they have more time to give as opposed to devoting their time to a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're married, um, there is a big change in your life and you do have not only a commitment to another person, but to the relationship. Um, you know, when we're working in marriage therapy, what we say is, um, that the client is the marriage is the relationship, which is bigger than each individual separately. So, um, you know, I, I, don't think, as you phrase the question, that married couples should be worried about it because it's not saying that they don't have any social right. contact. It's just that they have less. Um, and then, of course, they have the contact between each other. So, right. no, I shouldn't I, – I wouldn't say they should be worried. Okay. So while – uh, one of the things that came to my mind was this phrase that I heard not too long ago, which has really stuck with me, and I think it's kind of brilliant, mm-hmm. um, and, which gets to your point about it's not that they don't have any, it's just that they have less than their single counterparts. So the phrase is, um, enough is as good as a feast. And mm. I think about, like, if it's enough social contact, what does it matter if it's not as much? Mm-hmm as mm-hmm. the single people. So if mm-hmm. it's, if it's a healthy amount of social, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. do you, are you getting your 20 minutes of exercise to get your heart rate up? Then you don't need to do 120. It's not Correct. giving you any more benefit. So Correct. enough is as good as a feast. The, the other thing that I was thinking about is how in the past we have talked about this self selection that happens in society with people who couple up So, um, people who get into relationships and get married are also, uh, couples, people who are either looking for it or they're very sociable in general. And so I also think about like, how does that play into this? Um, and I know that the findings of this is that the singles are more social than the married couples, but that to your point, it doesn't mean that the married couples are antisocial. That's correct. We've talked about a lot about how. In fact, they might actually be more, even more social, which is how they found their spouse in the first place. They were the life mm-hmm. of the party. They were the whatever. So, right, um, they put the, they put themselves out there. Right, exactly. Right. So, I think that's all really interesting. Um, one of the other interesting findings is that the difference between the singled single people and the married are more prominent for the never married than those who were previously married, suggesting that uh, the marriage extends its reach in terms of its influence of social connections after the marriage ends. Um, Why do you think that is? Once you're divorced, I can imagine, uh, like I would just assume that people would start getting back out there and reestablishing connections and that kind of thing. Does this this one make sense to you? Well, you know, it's interesting the way that you have phrased the question, suggesting that Um, this concept extends itself even beyond the marriage. Um, What I'm thinking is that there's a certain pattern that you get into 
when you're single Mm -hmm. and that then there's a certain pattern that you get into when you've been married. So then if the marriage dissolves, you are merely continuing the pattern that you've had. And if you've had enough, it's a feast. (laughs) You don't necessarily have to now, you know, really go out there like crazy and, you know, do that much more. Um, it's been enough. You realize it's okay. Um, you know, you, you become accustomed to functioning in a certain way. And so you just continue that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think to your point about when you're divorced, um, you might look to reestablish certain connections. I think probably you do. Um, you know, I looked at the study. It was a very, very lengthy study. Um, so I didn't have a chance to go through it really thoroughly. I don't know if the statistics showed that there was such a difference um, as far as if you were divorced, as opposed to if you were married, uh, as opposed to if you've never been married. I don't know if there's, you know, um, a significant difference. But as I said, you know, I, I'm sure that you do look for more connection after you're divorced to what extent that is different. I, you know, is it significantly different that you could say, well, previously married or never married? It's, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, so, um, I think it has more to do with just that you become accustomed to a certain lifestyle, and so you just continue that. So you essentially you fall into habits, and habits are hard to yeah. break. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, and this kind of goes to the the. I, I don't know how to phrase this properly, but the un, I don't want to say it's unprecedented, but it kind of is unprecedented. Like the crazy times that we live in and how quickly mm-hmm. things change. And mm-hmm. so the data goes back to the early 90s, which isn't that long ago. I mean, it kind of is, but it's, but it's really not. Um, but this is well before the internet was ubiquitous and social mm-hmm. media wasn't even a thing in the early mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that it has become a focal point of connection within today's society and you know, that says nothing of our current pandemic we're dealing with and how that's been a lifeline for a lot of people. Do you think, um, if we were to take the internet into consideration, uh, and using today's data, and I know this goes up to 2012, but do you think if they took internet connections into consideration that the result would be different and how they feel about this disparity between singles and marrieds? I don't see how it could not be. You know, they took it up to 2012, but this is eight years later. Mm -hmm. And in the world of technology, eight years is huge. I mean, you have a computer for a year, a year and a half, and they tell you it's outdated. You know, it's an old model already. So I think absolutely um, we would get a very different result if we were doing the test, if we were looking at the numbers today. Um, I think we make um, much more connection than we used to, and we connect in lots of different ways than we used to, Mm -hmm. including text. I mean, I can't tell you how many different people to just to check in, but it's so much easier now because all I do is send a text and say, I'm thinking about you and, you know, is everything okay? Um, and people really appreciate that. Um, and I'm an extremely busy person, but part of my lifestyle 
is always making sure that I'm checking in on people and, you know, just being aware of what's going on with them. If they need a little extra, um, you know, hugs, so to speak, you know, virtual hugs. So, um, yes, I think absolutely it would be very different now. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I know you remember this as well, but I remember growing up, my parents went to work and I never talked to them Correct. during the day. Like that was it. Like there was zero communication until they got Absolutely. home. Yep. And uh, today it's like kids and parents talk all the time, all day mm-hmm. throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And to your point about the texting, um, I, th- I think people still take it for granted that we've always had smartphones, like let alone the <laughs> internet, but smartphones. The yeah. original, the very first iPhone came out in 2007. So there you go. I mean, we're talking, this data and goes back to 92. people had them? And it, how many people had them at it, that point? Exactly, exactly. So this kind of goes to show that how, how fast things have moved and how we connect with people has changed just radically in, in the last decade, let alone the last three decades. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, okay. Um, so one of the things that it, I, I wasn't able to find in my uh, view, you know, like you, I did a, I did a little bit of a dive, but not a deep dive into this study, but it didn't look like it broke out married parents versus married non parents, Mm -hmm. um, just relationship status. Uh, and so it seems like parents would be more social since, uh, most kids are involved in school and bands and sports and plays and whatever else. Uh, which kind of forces parents to interact with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily they have to be best friends, but like there are social connections that absolutely get made there. Um, do you, like do you think that counts as like social connectivity of like you know bumping elbows with with other parents, uh, sure even it though it's not like your relationships, it's like tangentially kid relationships. Well, sure it does because, um, you know, there's going to be different degrees of how much you connect and different levels of how deep it gets. Is it just somebody that you see on the soccer field and you wave hello to, or are you conversing? Are you carpooling? You know, um, but yes, of course it's another form of connection. And in fact, uh, many parents end up becoming friends with the parents of their uh, children who have, you know, children the same age because they have so much in common. But yes, I, I do think, um, that there would be, uh, connections that you would form through your parent, uh, through your children. Mm-hmm. And how many times have parents stayed friends when the kids have <laughs> gone yeah. their, gone their own separate ways down the road, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I would, um, this isn't, you know, I don't have any results on this, but I would be interested to see in the future if somebody would break that data out of parents versus non-parents to see how those mm-hmm. numbers fell. I think, because we also know that cohabitating parents who are not married uh, would fall into this kind of category, which I Correct. think would be interesting. And and cohabitating parents is on the rise um, mm-hmm. uh, over the last four decades. So uh, actually, going back to like the 1960s. But um, anywho. Um, I, like always, I like to offer some takeaway advice that, uh, people can, listeners can implement. So if you're married and you feel like, you know what, uh, I, you know, I don't feel bad about my social connections, but maybe I should put a little more effort into it. 
What can married couples do to keep their outside social connections strong? Okay, so there's going to be a bunch of factors that are going to play into this. Um, One is, you know, are you both working? Mm -hmm. Because there's less time um, that you have for social events. Um, But connections can be with coworkers. It can be with family. um, It can be, you know, with friends. Um, So you have to sort of decide where your priorities are. Um, and if it's something that you really want to do more of, you have to, as always, first be aware that there's a need that you have or that there's something more that you would like to bring into your life. Decide who it is that you want to connect more with based on what your values are and then go ahead and make that effort. So if it's with family then, you know, who are the people in your family that you want to get together with? If it's with coworkers that you seem to enjoy, um, an extended invitation for getting together for dinner. Um, if it, and again, is it with, um, people who have children the same age as yours? If, if in fact you have children, you know, trying to set up a get together, it may be that you do connections through your house of worship. Most houses of worship also have ancillary activities other than religious ones where you can get together that way. Uh, if you live in a community, there may be activities there. So there are different uh, ways to create connections. But the first thing is, I guess, having a conversation if you feel the need um, and see if you want to do that jointly. You know, there's nothing that says that you both must do the same activities. Certainly as a couple, it's, it's nice to do that. But if there's a difference in the need, I don't think there's anything wrong with one person joining, let's say, a bowling league with the gals Mm -hmm. and the other person not uh, or vice versa. Um, And, you know, um, doing it that way. But again, if you want to do it as couples, decide which area of connection you want to focus on and then make some overtures to, you know, to get that going. Mm -hmm. Um, again, it's going to have to be where you devote time to it. Yeah. I, so, um, going back to my original, uh, phrase of enough as good as a feast Mm -hmm. is as good as a feast. Um, how much is enough if you're satisfied? Is it, is it kind of like how we define the, how much sex is enough as long as you're satisfied? That's, that's good. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to answer you. There isn't, I don't think that there is, you know, a rule book on how much is enough. It really depends on if you're feeling that you need more or if you're feeling like, yeah, we're good, Mm -hmm. then you're good. (laughs) You know, who's to say like you're not doing enough. Yeah. And I think this gets to the point that you just made about uh, couples doing it independently or separately, because you might be married to somebody who is more outgoing and needs those connections while mm-hmm. you are totally fine hanging out, being a little bit more isolated. And um, you can both get your needs fulfilled uh, independently, or you might find that you do things together. So I think that's a that was a really good point. Good. <laughs> um, so did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap this one up? No, I don't really, I really don't think so. Um, I think, you know, 
as we have said so often, you know, connections are important, but it has to be assessed by, you know, how you feel about mm-hmm. it. It doesn't, there's no rule book about it. it's got to be this amount or that amount. Yeah. The only other thought, I'm sorry, yeah. I had another thought that sure. just came to me. I think you also have to be sensitive to if you have a family that's living nearby and they feel a need for more connection with you mm. and your values are different. And then you have to also consider um, that even though you may not want as much uh, physical connection or you know calling as much or whatever, is the value of the respect for the family or the needs of the family, mm-hmm. probably mostly parents, important <laughs> enough to you that you say, okay, I'm going to compromise a little bit on my needs because this is my other value of taking you know, my family um, into consideration is a higher value for me. Right. It's so funny that you said that because that was the one thing that I was going to add uh, at the end, which is mm-hmm. finding the balance between your needs and the needs of others mm-hmm. and, um, and the expectations of others. Because I think so many times we have the best intentions of wanting to stay in touch and, and be connected with people. And then it becomes a burden and yeah. then we start feeling guilty and then it's no longer fun and it can mm-hmm. become a detriment because you're just angry because you got to your only free time in the week is now eaten up by these obligations that you're they're they're okay but they're not really yes. what you want to do so um yes right it becomes obligatory and then the whole thing goes down the chute <laughs> right so i love the idea uh that you brought up about setting boundaries but also recognizing the needs of others because i do think that is important so um that's great Um, Okay, we will wrap it up with that. And so thank you so much for your time, Karen. It is always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. (laughs) My pleasure. Uh, And just to remind you one more time that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. Karen is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can find this information on her website, drkarensherman.com. Her remote practice is open in case you're interested. You can find this information on our website uh, at hitchedmag.com, along with thousands of articles, the complete uh, archive of our podcast, and a free newsletter that goes out weekly on Mondays, and it takes about 30 seconds to sign up. So hopefully you check that out as well. And with that, we will call this one a show. Until next time, take care, everybody.